Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Citico. Alongside me is our official, unofficial, co-host, whenever we talk about food stuff, Tom Hetherington. Hello. And today we're at the Manchester Art Gallery talking to Mary Ellen McTagg, who took over and relaunched the cafe here in June. Mary Ellen came to prominence at Prestwich venue Ormbury, which shut in 2014? Yep, 2014. that's right. Since then, there have been numerous projects and just as many rumours flying about about her next step. So thanks for joining us. What's been happening since the Ombre closure? Um, all sorts. Um, immediately after, we opened a pop-up in the city centre, 4244, and that ran for a few months. Um, so that was Edge Street, wasn't it? Yes, that was Edge Street. After that, we had a few near misses on sites. We were looking for a city centre site, and um, we, we got excruciatingly close and then and then didn't quite um didn't quite get open on a couple of places and then um since then we've been doing all sorts of um stuff with arts festivals so i've had two i've had two events at manchester international festival now i did 2015 and 2017 which has just been a total joy i absolutely love working with the, the festival um and other festivals, the South Bank Festival and Festival Number Six. So lots of kind of little bits here and there. And then the opportunity arose um, to um, come to the art gallery, which um, which is a beautiful and very prominent city centre site. So that was a, a really exciting opportunity. And um, yes, yeah, so we opened here in June, mid June, and. Um, we're getting busier every week. It's great. Was, was the intention to stay in Manchester all along? You went. Presumably, you were getting offers from London and all over it. Yeah, so. there were there were offers to move away, but this is you know this is my home and this is where my kids uh, go to school and you know it's um, I, I really really love Manchester and I think th- things have changed drastically in the last five years here and we have uh, a, a really thriving restaurant scene. But I still think I still feel like there are certain sectors of the restaurant industry that are really underrepresented here, and I think there's an appetite for it, and I think there's the talent here. So I I I kind of I want to stay here and, and see all that through. And was the intention always to find a permanent home? Because you talked about the pop-ups you were doing, events you were doing, which is a very different, uh, probably more stressful for the two weeks an event is on, but yeah. then at least you get a bit of time off, so it's not continual. Well, what I have with the art gallery is something that's um, that's constant. It's, we're only closed two days a year, and this, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge job. It's a really, it's a really busy cafe, and there's a busy event side to the business, and it's, um, I could very happily do 70, 80 hours a week here, I think, um, if, if, that's, if that's the amount of time I gave to it. But it also allows me to do the other things that I love doing, so I, I, can, I can go off and do Manchester, Manchester International Festival, I can do other arts festivals, I can um, have time to write, I can do other things as, as well as having my hand in something that's you know that, that I'm really proud of and, and is I think is going to build into something really special we're, we're just starting and with the teams just kind of starting to take shape and there's there's, there's quite a, a way to go you know it's quite a bit of work to be done but I can definitely see huge strides be made um, but I, re- I really like the I really like the combination of having something steady and permanent, and and that kind of being the mainstay of what I do. But then also, I, you know, I, tomorrow night I'm cooking for the the Korean masters that are visiting the, and their their entourage, and uh, so we're doing a dinner at Islington Mill, and that's a brilliant and exciting thing to be doing. Um, but but you can't make a living doing the odd dinner for exciting people. You know, it's it's kind of 
So you got that balance between the security and yeah. being able to put your influence on one place and continue to evolve it, yeah. while also doing some really exciting, strange and wacky things, which yeah. presumably don't all have to work either. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's ideal if they do. <laughs> Anything not working isn't isn't ever part of the plan. Um, but it, yeah, it, I can do some um, some more experimental stuff and things that things that aren't things that are more about being creative and more about being artistic than kind of the the kind of sort of um, business side of, of, of running restaurants. So it's nice to have both things going on. And um, are you doing the? corporate catering as well here for the big events yeah we do we do uh, weddings and corporate dinners and um all sorts really there's lots of daytime there's there's some um uh, function rooms what are they called rooms where you have functions <laughs> meetings <laughs> functions yeah functions it's not quite phoenix nights um yeah so we have quite a lot of daytime corporate catering that we do, uh, and then, but we've got, you know, we've we've we've, we've relaunched with um, a whole load of new menus that are, you know, quite a departure from what was on offer before, uh, and so hopefully that's that's going to build into a, a business of its own. Really, the people coming here for something slightly different than you get for for your sort of usual corporate catering, and we've got, you know, we've got a good list, good wine list, and we're kind of hoping to do. Well, we want to do more in the way of sort of bespoke dinners. So rather than just sort of handing out a, a list of, of, of standard packages, we kind of want to work with people to... I think that's always been one of, the, one of the... Not sorry, a shame, but it, we, we've hosted a number of events, been to a huge number of events here over the years, and then you get the same... In, in these stunningly beautiful rooms surrounded by usually beautiful art, yeah. um, and you get the same range that you would have in uh, an anonymous hotel function room and that has always been a bit of a shame I think. I think it's a, a common lament I don't think there's many cultural venues or public institutions in Manchester or indeed across the UK where, where the food is great, where the, the food is a draw in its own right and yeah. I always found it slightly bizarre that an organisation that cared so passionately about every single thing on the wall and the angle and the frame and the paint on the wall and the way the light hits the piece would then give almost no thought to the food that was pumped out of the kitchen and, and that their visitors actually had to eat because to me it's very much part of the experience and a, a huge mis missed opportunity that there isn't a sense of uh, kind of inventiveness and creativity and a sense of place as well you know local produce and local ingredients yep. so when you go in the cafe it feels like a natural progression from walking around the gallery and I, I think that's kind of what you've brought really to the art gallery well that's what that's what we're going for absolutely it, it, you know we want the, the cafe and the actually the, the events and catering side of the business to feel like part of the gallery and to, and to um yeah, to have as much care and attention taken. I think the reason it happens with cultural institutions is that that um, running a cultural institution and running a restaurant or cafe are two very, very different disciplines. And it's, it's, it's. I think you, people have to be brought in with the yeah. experience to do that. I, and uh, I think it's partly about the um, partly about the offer and the, the visitor experience, but. In, in these days of, of difficult uh, funding landscapes, I think it also can't be ignored as a revenue stream. If you get yeah. the cafe right, then the institution will make more money. Uh, and when funding is difficult, you can't afford to ignore those revenue streams, which is a horribly unlovely way to talk about a fantastic cafe, but that is important in yeah, the arts. It is important. I think we, we want to definitely want to feel like the, the cafe business is not only complementing the art gallery in, in, in an aesthetic way, but 
is also a in a in a financial way and it's it's kind of part of, of helping to support a a great institution. That's I think it's having run uh, cultural venues, it's one of those risky things for a venue to decide to either in-house or talk to somebody um, to be a directly employed contractor mm. or, or consultant rather than just to go to a big agency that's going to take over all your corporate stuff and all your cafe and just pay, pay, pay you 10% and you know that you have a very consistent yeah. revenue stream. It's riskier, it's usually more lucrative um, but, you know, at this day and age also, there's the other argument that people actually just want that consistent revenue coming in. And unfortunately, I mean, I think, I think one of the things that happened, obviously, was with the Whitworths were one of the first in the city to go, actually, no, we don't necessarily want to yeah. do that. We want yeah. a cafe that's got its own brand. With the modern venue, caterer, with Peter. Exactly. And it, and yeah. it got in yeah. the good food guide, and it, you know, it rightfully so. And that it's demonstrated a, the way. And, and so you're seeing now a lot of cultural venues in the city, you know, Royal Exchange, and now have looked at... Yes. what they're going to do and though their food has always been actually pretty good but um, you know a lot of people are people actually are looking at how they yeah. can do it in a different way so that you yeah. have because you know actually if you make yourself uh, attractive as a, a venue to just come and have food or, or a beer um, you're going to have a whole second audience that's coming along that contributing to it. I think the other important thing is that uh, Mary Ellen has put together a menu that does a really good toasty. Uh, and moreover, I was hugely... <laughs> Which has been the headline of most of the PRs, hasn't uh, yeah, it? The return yeah. of the toasty. Well, you know what? Everyone likes a good toasty. And I, yeah. I never realised until I was uh, enlightened by the gallery, which is what it's here to do, that Breville is a Manchester brand. Yes. Exactly. And it is one of those brands that kind of transcends what it is, like a like a Hoover or whatever. It yeah. becomes the generic name. People talk about having a Breville, even if it isn't a Breville maker. But there yeah. you go, another another proud Manchester brand. That, that, that's excellent, um, isn't it? And, and if you have vegetarian toasties, then you then it's entirely Manchester absolutely. brand, yeah, isn't it? Toasties. Vegan toasties. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, vegetarian, of course. Sorry, yeah. missed yeah. that. Yeah. The, the Reverend Cowherd's personal Indeed. toasties. Um, so how did the process um, get underway? Did they approach you? Did you, did you talk to them? Yes, did, was it vacant here? It, wasn't, it never stopped yeah, operating, did it? I think, no, they didn't. But I think they'd, they'd, they'd come to the conclusion that what, obviously the, the, the Whitworth had, had gone in the direction of bringing it in-house or at least having something different to the usual um, offer where you tender out and you get a, a huge contractor in and it's all sort of fairly average and 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 it's not it's not run by people who who really care about what they do individually in that space it's part of a huge organizations so you just don't get that individual touch so much um and so i think maria had obviously overseen the whitworth um and the relaunch there and um was um, of a mind that it would be the right thing to do here as well just to kind of carry on that that sort of um process of, of Offering something in the galleries that's that's that ties in with the whole building, the whole ethos, the whole the whole sort of gallery visit. And did you take some persuading, or did you? No, <laughs> none at all. I, I completely jumped at the chance. And how long did the process take from sort of that those initial conversations to the launch in June? First conversation um, was in November last year. November 2016, but then I, I actually started. I started doing a little bit of a little bit of work on this in January. But actually, the, the bulk of the work happened between the 1st of April and the 16th of June. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. And did in you have end. a pretty good idea of the sort of thing that you wanted to do? Yes, very quickly. I did. I, I mean, it, it, um, it all evolved as as what we as what we re worked out we could do. The space evolved. So initially, upstairs, 
in what's now a finishing kitchen, there was a, a servery where there was a hot plate. Um, it's pretty similar to your service station setup where you have a cold bit with the sandwiches ready to take and the, the hot servery with food that sits under there for a bit and gets sadder and sadder. And um, uh, But that was that was the the design that had been, you know, done however long ago when the, the gallery reopened and, and that was kind of what the, the incumbent caterers were stuck with. Um, so I the, the main kitchen is downstairs and it's down quite a slow lift journey and I, I, I knew we could, wouldn't be able to service the dining room with freshly made food, food made to order from a kitchen so far away. Um, and you can't run a service if you can't see the dining room either. That's, that's, that's quite important as well to be able to... Um, be close to what's going on so we started looking into the the possibility of doing something with this kitchen upstairs and that that we didn't kind of really fix upon that happening until quite a way into the process actually it was probably end of april maybe mid-may even before we actually knew we were going to be able to do that for sure and it, you know it's a listed building that all sorts of of um, quite quite a complicated process so, but once I knew that kitchen was there, then it, it became sort of easier to, um, to to work out what I was going to do. And as well as all the, the kind of teas and coffees and cakes and all the usual sorts of things, you've actually got quite a serious lunchtime menu in there. It reminds me a yeah. little bit of like Rochelle Canteen or something yes. like that. Very, very <laughs> I'm so modern. I'm you said that. I, very I love kind of, yeah, her. contemporary, yeah. fresh, clean, dining, really nice kind of produce. I think you had yeah. mackerel or something on yeah. the other day. Uh, so is, is that becoming a bigger part of the, the offer? Are people realising that they can have a proper two, three course meal there? Yes, and we're getting some really good feedback on that. So that's really nice. I mean, we, we want it to be, we want it to be a place people come for lunch, whether or not they're coming to the gallery. So that's, and we have all this amazing produce. It's not difficult to put together a lunch menu when, you know, we've got we've got really great fish and meat suppliers. We've got a really incredible veg supplier in Manchester Veg People. And that it's and we've got this finishing kitchen now. We, you know, we've got the capacity to do it. So it it's um, it, it's a real pleasure to be able to do yeah. it actually. And the the gallery famously opens late on a Thursday. Thursday yes. late. So the cafe is open as well? Yes. So you can open. actually have dinner here on the Thursday? Yeah, until 8 o'clock. Yeah. Brilliant, OK. Yeah. And what we want to do is, um, it's not that lovely today outside, it's a bit rainy, but, but on those lovely Thursday evenings, we've got a really beautiful Victorian kitchen garden now um, and seating outside. And, and when it, on, on a sunny evening, um, there's sunshine there until, until the sun sets. So, we, you know, we like to use that space as well for... for have sort of set up a little bar out there and serve food and drinks and stuff. So We've got the great view o- over uh, Peter's Square, which yeah. now has been refurbished. It's an incredible civic space. It's a beautiful it's not, you're not just looking at tramworks now, are no, you? No, it's across to the library and the town hall, and it's a lovely big open plaza. And yeah, it means it's, it's a really great view from there. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, talk to me about uh, the children's menu because um, yes. the, the core of any visitor attraction food offer tends to be. Does it the keep children's the kids menu. Happy? Does it keep the kids happy? Yeah. And so many your t- times you'll turn up, and actually, where they have gone uh, a little bit upmarket, then suddenly you have no. They have like bruschetta pizzas, and children just look at them, and go, "What have you done to yeah, my pizza, pizza at this yeah. point?" Um, so talk us through the children's menu. So the children's menu is made from produce that we get from the Real Drunk Food Project. So they intercept um, 
uh, or we, I should say, Atoms are part of the projects, but um, the junk food project intercepts food that's going to go in the bin, and this is perfectly good food, food that's in date, um, it's often returned shops from supermarket delivery services, that kind of thing. So we get we have access to all this beautiful, fresh produce that is going to get thrown in the bin, because that's the cheapest thing to do with it once it hasn't been delivered. So we take this and we turn it into kids' meals and we offer them on a pay-as-you-feel basis. So you come in with your kids, there's a, a sort of daily changing menu, pick your food, and then at the end of your meal you decide what it was worth, if anything. Um, so it kind of takes away from that thing that you often get when you take your children out to eat, where you, you might spend 20, 30 quid on food for a few children and they none of it or you know it all gets rejected or you know and it, it's kind of and it's just a, another way of, of, of um a, a, a huge part of what we want to do here is to, to make it accessible and to kind of you know to remove boundaries for people people visiting the, the art gallery and and the cafe needs to be part of that it needs to be as, as open as possible when you're talking about the sort of the traditional visitors or the visitors you're going to get, particularly during the summer period, and yeah. we're talking in August, um, but then building up that market of people coming here for a two-course or three-course yeah. lunch, are you going to have enough capacity to be able to service all of that? Well, we're doing okay so far. So we are um, three weeks into the summer holiday, is that right? And it's been really busy, and it's been a lot busier on the children's menus, but we've, we've been very busy on the lunch menus and on the just you know the, the, the adults' food as well. So um, we, we did wonder, obviously, how that was going to play out, but um, what we've seen is there's been an increase in the demand for children's food, but that's, that's coupled with the demand for the increase in food in general, so it's not it's not kind of eaten into that or anything you know it's not replaced the demand hasn't replaced the demand for the, the normal menu so that's really good it's been really good to see yeah i suppose that would be a bit of a disaster if you well, said that yeah, that was the only ideal, thing that you yeah. were preparing it preparing at that point i mean generally obviously um reviews and reaction has been in incredibly positive As, have the figures that you're getting in and the numbers coming in been where you wanted them to be yeah i mean we're um, we are certainly doing the covers that we wanted to do i think with any new business you, you you start from where you start and then you build up to something and it's as much I mean it's as much um, as much a question of building up the team and getting everyone knowing what they're doing to, to such a point that you can really start to push uh, from a marketing point of view and really start to try and get sort of drive drive numbers through but you, you need to be ready for that there's, it's absolutely it, it, there's just no point in getting a load of people in and not being able to to service the, the, the cafe properly I mean you know it's a, a definitely a false economy and, and what's the reaction I know there is a certain sector of Manchester society that um, the philanthropists who give many of the gifts here who used to come in quite regularly for sort of Saturday lunches and so yeah. on and what's the old customers how have they reacted oh there's been a mix um, some people Sorry, I should say more longer term customers yeah. rather than older. <laughs> not, not, older, no, not, not older in age um, there's been a real mix some people have been delighted with what we've done and some people have absolutely hated it and been really cross that we took away the surgery but I think that's just to be expected you know you can't we, I'm, I'm confident that we're doing something good and that we're doing the right thing um, you know so the team at the gallery and when you change things there are always going to be some people that like it and some people that hate it and some people that are indifferent i mean there's just you know it, but as long as what we're doing is good and um as long as we're kind of sort of constantly getting better and improving and, and building on what we've started to do then that's all we can do really 
You talked about um, staff and building up the team. Yeah. And one of the things that we brought up in the last time we did a podcast and it's come back a lot in terms of talking to restaurants is that pressure on good staff in Manchester yeah. and finding them. So yeah. um, are you where you need to be on that? And how are you intending to de develop the team? Um, I'm really happy with where the team is at right now. We've, um, we've, we've got a bit of a mixture of new people, then people who transferred from the company that was here um, before. Uh, some people have stayed on, some people haven't, some people just didn't. Again, you know, like I say, some people like the change, some people don't like the change. So those that didn't like it have moved on. So what we're left with now is, is a, a team of people who are really dedicated and are, um, I mean, like, you know, like I say, we're new and we're kind of, they're getting to know me and the food and, and all the rest of it. But I'm, see, I'm seeing big improvements week on week. Um, and the, the kitchen team's brilliant. In fact, actually, this, this, this shouldn't really be worthy of a mention, but this is the first time I've ever worked in a kitchen where the kitchen management team was all female. Um, and that was by accident rather than design. That was, yeah. That's just how it's worked out. Um, but that's, that's a first for me. Well, it's still, um, it's still a hot topic, isn't it? I think The yeah. Guardian did uh, an article recently and I think only 18.5% 18, 18 of chefs are female. Yeah. And it's actually dropped from the year before. It's gone down from about 21, 22%, which, you know, just seems, um, seems crazy. And I don't think it's healthy in any environment, uh, let alone a kitchen, really. No, but um, we're just loads of women here for some reason. Well, that's I don't good. know. It's You're redressing the balance yeah, single-handedly. Well, yeah. <laughs> One cafe at a time. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I don't know whether everyone who's listening kind of knows, but you you have cooked at some of the best restaurants in the country. You've cooked at Shara Bay yep. and Fat Duck. Yeah. And you're here now. And do you feel, is this what you've always wanted to cook? Or has there been a progression in terms of your ambition and where you think you want it to be? Does this feel right? Is this where you this, want to be? This feels right. Um, but it's a different, totally different thing to anything I've done in the past. Because it's a cafe. It's not a restaurant. And it's a cafe that has to take care of gallery visitors. So whatever my ambitions are in terms of what I would like to do with food um, this has to be a bit of a distilled version of that, it has to be simplified and the, the, the numbers of covers that we're doing, there's just it's 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 not a fine dining place as such, and, and nor should it be actually it's a cafe and, and we want it to be kind of low key and accessible and, and as long as the produce is really good and we take care of it, that's you know, I'm and we're doing interesting things with the, yeah. the, the produce that's available to us. Because but sometimes that sort of um, discipline or those sorts of constraints or conditions can almost fire your creativity. You know, oh, having yeah. completely free reign can sometimes be quite unhealthy. You know, no. the fact that you have to think about those realities and making it work as a business yeah. is probably a good thing. No, absolutely. I, I think a brief of any, of, of any kind is always a good thing and it focuses the mind. And you need, you need, to, you need to have some form of focus. And as I was saying earlier, the, the, the stuff that I do, for example, the, the um, thing I did recently for Manchester International Festival, I had, I had a brief that I'd kind of set myself and I was, it, the event was tied into an apocalyptic themed event. So there was that, but I, I kind of had completely free reign and that was brilliant and it's really creative and, and um, um, that's a really joyful thing to do. But this is, this is just a different set of criteria. It's a different discipline. And just remind me, what was the grand finale of that meal at MIF? Uh, it, was a dead, it was a dead rat. A real one or a cake one? A cake one. So it was... It was um, 
I, it was so... <laughs> I don't know whether this is going to work on a podcast, but let's okay. paint right. pictures so with words. We can always try and find right. a photo. So, <laughs> so it, was, um, it was a cake that I made in the form of a rat. Brilliant. It was a fairly, fairly realistic-looking rat. I've pictures. It, it was yeah. pretty anatomically correct. So um, the rat was um, brought into the dining room, a, a dark dining room on a platter, mm-hmm. and then put underneath a... a a sort of single light bulb and then the cloche was removed from the platter and the rat was presented to the diners uh, and then <laughs> and then I got a big knife and stabbed the rat in the uh, in the belly and there was um, a blood-filled capsule inside that kind of when you say everywhere. blood you mean uh, I mean, I mean raspberry and balsamic thank god um, it was a, a raspberry puree with balsamic vinegar and, and things um uh, yeah, so, so probably I the sorts around. of boundaries that you're not going to be pushing here in the cafe. No, I'd love to I'm see not, that going on the I'm menu. Not, I'm not going to be feeding anybody vermin. Another one of the courses was a, a dead goldfish in a bowl. Oh, fantastic. So that's not cafe food. But I'm happy. I'm really Except happy for a Halloween, to, possibly. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I'm really happy to do, like, to to serve a really nice tart or a really nice Eccles cake or a really good toasty. I mean, these things also take loads of work and on the sourcing side and on on training the staff as well I mean people I think a lot of a lot of what happens um, with younger chefs particularly is that they think that if you're not 20 things aren't going onto a dish that it's it's not an exciting dish but actually I really think that a really amazing piece of bread and some really nice butter is you know you should be taking as much care over that as as anything else preferably served on a plate yeah yeah. <laughs> you make your own bread here. The bread's good. Uh, we make some of our own bread. The sourdough. So the sourdough you make? No, with sourdough we're getting from pollen. Oh, for catching. Because yeah, for yeah. and other various breads um, and all the pastries and stuff. Brilliant. But the reason the reason we started using pollen is um, because they are amazing, they and are. they they um, they produce really really stunning bread. Um, and also for the numbers of covers that we're doing here, it was really, really hard to keep up. We don't have a bread oven. We have a couple of little gas ovens. Okay. So it was, it, it's just, I think if you Sensible can do it really well in-house, then do it really well yourself. If somebody else can do it much better, then I think it's, it's you know, it's foolish not to, not to source. When you're looking ahead, if say this time next year, yeah. how would you like to see the menu evolve? Where do you want to take um, it? I think we are, so we've got a new pastry chef coming in who um, is really, really experienced, just back from a couple of years in Australia. And um, we've been talking a lot about um, where I want to take the pastry side of things. Um, So, I mean, a a particular... um, sort of source of interest for me is old cookery books and I really like I mean I really love Jane Grigson and I love her kind of scholarly approach to to food history and stuff as well and what I want I want to kind of look um more at sort of heritage of pastry and breads and stuff um so some older recipes um and just some stuff, I suppose, some more dishes that tell a bit of a story, that have a kind of a sense of place and, and you know, Mancunian, Lancastrian, Northern, British or whatever, just just things that are lovely in themselves but also have a bit of a story to them. And this is exactly why you're right to be here, surely, because without being pretentious, art isn't just about the thing and the reaction to it, it's about the story behind yeah. it. That's why you should always read the little cards next to the pieces on the walls. I always uh, read the little cards. Yeah, and, and you're, as you say, there's narratives and stories, backstories and histories and context around your, your cooking. 
you don't need to know about that. You can just eat a really good tart or a really good apples cake, but it's there if you kind of scratch below the surface. Yeah. And that's perfectly in keeping with the gallery. Yeah, well, I think there absolutely should be something if you scratch beneath the surface. So that, that, you know, and, um, Apart from a rat. A, well, no, there should be a blood-filled <laughs> capsule if you scratch beneath the surface of a rat, actually. We, we will talk to you about our Halloween event, actually, because <laughs> it does sound really good. Do you feel any pressure in running this place because I mean when you actually look at the function of the art gallery within the city it is sort of the repository of the soul of the city in the last 200 years well, but I of course also in the last <laughs> and of course the last 10 years they worked really hard also to make it more accessible they've opened up the front yeah. and uh, you know to actually get a much wider demographic and certainly the visitor numbers have hugely increased yeah. over the last decade so finding that right balance between these different things um is that well, a pressure? Yes, yeah, huge. I feel a huge. I mean, I have to say, this is the biggest and hardest job I've ever, ever taken on. It's massive, and it it it, it continues to be huge and difficult. But but you know, worth very much worth doing. I think that's that's where the the kids' meals element came in is is to try and because the, you know if if you're using if you're using very carefully sourced ingredients and you're taking a lot of care over them, that takes a lot of chefs and it pushes the price up. So I was really mindful of keeping that balance between offering something nice and something special, but also it being open to all. And I think if you can feed your kids for nothing or very little, that, that does help keep those doors open. Yeah, there isn't much that makes it more accessible to families than being able to do no. that, definitely. Um, certainly there are certain coffee shops which are very good in the city where Elevens is with coffee for everyone or hot chocolate for everyone and cakes and you're, you're spending about 40 quid on it. Yeah, which is, you know, yeah, yeah easily. Which is, which is not justifiable. Um, more broadly, where do you like to eat in Manchester? Are there any new openings coming up that are exciting you? Um, well, I wouldn't know because I don't get out anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to be here early. Yeah. In the what restaurants? <laughs> I really love the French. I think Adam Reed's done amazing stuff over there. I really like squidding. I think that I really, I really like the idea of, of people doing something plucky and interesting and, and kind of just starting off, just doing something for the love of it. So uh, Umazushi, for the same reason. I've always yeah, loved that brilliant. place. Um, Siam Smiles, I go there lots. Love that place. Um, Hawksmoor is dead dead reliable it's, it's just it's great you know it's and just for drinks as well as for for food love Hawksmoor El Gato Negro I think is going from strength to strength I mean it's it just gets better and better that place so loads and it's I really love that I really love that these days I'm a bit I'm a, I'm a bit torn about where to take people when they're visiting town rather than kind of scratching my head and, and wondering where on earth I can take them that isn't gonna make us all feel a bit provincial and, and crap you know it's it, that just totally spoiled for choice now that, that range continuing to expand yes um Tom what else are you hearing on the restaurant scene um it's an endless deluge of restaurant and bar openings, really. It's showing uh, no sign of abating whatsoever. I did some rudimentary research on um, Manchester Evening News, Manchester Confidential, and I think between them they had 25, 30 restaurants and bars which are all imminently opening or, or due to open. Um, Ancoats is, is still in the midst of a restaurant. Renaissance, there's five openings which are all going to happen in the next six months up there. The Northern Quarter, insanely, has about another ten restaurants and bars which are going to open where, as well. Where could they be going? Yeah, where are they I, I think it's like being left? John Malkovich. They're putting like a little mezzanine floor in every existing yeah. restaurant and bar and putting another one in there. Yeah, I, I am shocked that the, the, you know, the spoof Twitter feed of NQ Bar Guide, which does a little robot thing of made-up names, yeah, and yeah, yeah. but actually is being overtaken by events 
events. Yes. Uh, and sort of the sherry-only bar. Was, I couldn't work out whether that was an NQ bar guide thing or whether that I, was really going to happen. I have to say, it's called, it's called Flock. Um, I was there last week, and it's fantastic. It's yeah, well it worth great. going to. They do a uh, Palo Cortado there, which is fantastic. It's a lovely place to sit outside if it's not raining. Um, it's definitely one to go for. There's another couple of interesting trends, I think, in the city. Um, Mary Ellen is an example of this. We have a couple more Chef Patron openings, which I think are important, which is a very archaic way of saying the person whose name is over the door is in the kitchen cooking and shaping the philosophy and controlling what comes out of the kitchen. Uh, Simon Wood, uh, who won MasterChef, was a finalist. He won it, didn't he? He's a winner. We like winners. Uh, he's opening uh, Wood down on First Street. Uh, and then I love the brilliance of that name. You can imagine that they probably were thinking about branding consultants. I, I think, and then yeah, just probably stuck a, a Northern Quarter agency came up with that and then went to one of the many Northern Quarter bars to celebrate the deal. Um, and Elnacott, as well, is up in Ancoats. And, and that's a really interesting one. The guy, he's called Michael Clay, and I think he spent a couple of years over in Australia, maybe Melbourne. Looks like a really talented chef. He's come back to his hometown. He's, I think he's from Cheshire originally, so a local lad. Uh, and again, it's nice to see chefs in the kitchen uh, rather than everything always being knocked out to a formula or a, or a concept or a model. It's great. And Mary Ellen, can you see yourself returning to fine dining? And Yeah. <laughs> but not quite yet. Well, no, I mean, I've got my hands fairly full here, I have to say, for now. And, and um, you know, I, I, I get to... Um, I get to do stuff like that here and there with the sort of dinners that I do. So no, there's, there's no, there are no imminent plans. I, I, I definitely would in to the join future. Join that though. restaurant explosion that Tom's yeah, just yeah, taken yeah. us through. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting how much we we have no idea, I suppose, of the survival mm -hmm. rates of of restaurants that are being opened in, in the city. We we don't. Um, there was a, a restaurant guide called Hardens, which was done by Richard and Peter Harden down in um, London. And every year when they brought it out, they used to do a little roundup of the number of closures and the number of openings. Um, and it was actually remarkably consistent. Although the population of restaurants got bigger, the percentage opening and closing kind of remained uh, pretty constant. But I think I think if you look over the last 10 years, we haven't followed that pattern. The, the openings have vastly, vastly outweighed the closures. Um, and every closure is sad because every closure is someone's business and it's yeah. people's jobs and supplies get affected and we mustn't make light of that when a closure happens it's not a good thing but you have to relish the sheer volume of openings in the city at minute at the minute it's the variety it's the quality it's the depth um i would argue edinburgh and bristol both have fantastic restaurant scenes but arguably outside london is anywhere broader deeper more varied than what you can eat in manchester i think you could make a case no what a wonderful, optimistic and hopeful Boys point, point to end on, I think. Um, <laughs> if people want to find out more about the Gallery Cafe, apart from popping in, uh, mm -hmm. is there a website or is that part of the there, Manchester Art Gallery website? There is a website which is um, part of the Art Gallery website. So. And there's a Twitter feed as well, Mag Gallery Cafe. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank to you. Mary Ellen for joining us. Thanks. And to Tom for ensuring I don't put my foot in it. Mm -hmm make a change there was a little grunt there um, we'll be talking to more entrepreneurs based in the city centre over the coming months if you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at cityco.com Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes Acast and Soundcloud or direct from the source at cityco.com slash podcasts please leave a review give us some likes if you like what you hear until next time <laughs>